Well, good morning, Grace Church. Welcome to Grace. Want to give a shout out to the Olmstead Falls campus and the guys at Lorraine Correctional. Good to have you with us and everybody else tuning in from all over the place. And we are continuing a four-week series, as you know, on, on worship. And today, we want to focus like a laser on the God we worship, the object of our worship and his worthiness of being worshiped. So the Bible reveals to us the, the splendor, the, the amazing, infinite greatness of who God is. And the picture of God we have in the Bible is absolutely spectacular. It's breathtaking. It's mind-blowing. It's enthralling. It's electrifying. It's heart-stopping. It's spellbinding, and many, many more things. And so, uh, in order to, be, to wrap our minds around that a, a little bit more this morning, we need God's help. Only the Holy Spirit can do that for us. So let's pray and let's invite him to do that. Lord, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit into our hearts to, to live within us. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have given us a revelation, an inspired revelation of, of the greatness and the glory of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. So we invite you now, Lord, to open our spiritual eyes. Lord, reveal to us something more of, of the greatness and the wonder of who you are. We invite you to speak to us and reveal yourself to us in a fresh way. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at many places we could have looked into the Bible today, but we want to look in Psalm 135. The book of Psalms is filled with prayers and praises and worship to God, and it gives us just an amazing, spectacular picture of the greatness of God and his worthiness to be praised. So Psalm 35, verses 1 through 6, praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, praise him, you servants of the Lord, who minister in the house of the Lord. Anybody picking up a theme here? Seeing a theme? Praise him, you who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name for it is lovely, it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth and the seas and in all their depths. So the book of Psalms in particular is kind of a guide to us, kind of tutors us in who God is and how to approach him in worship. So I like the words of Dane Ortland. He's written a, a, a wonderful daily commentary taken from the Psalms. The title of it is In the Lord I Take Refuge. Wonderful resource by Dane Ortland. But at the beginning, in the introduction, he says, the Psalms are unlike any other portion of Scripture. This is the one book of the Bible written to God. It's prayers to God. It's praises to God. So it's written for us, but it is, it is addressed to God. Many other parts of the Scripture tell us how to pray. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, but the Psalms are themselves prayers addressed to God. In this way, the Psalms are uniquely suited to foster communion with God. They give voice to our hearts. The, the love for God, the awe of God that we feel in our hearts, 
Psalms gives us words to express that to God. And all through the Psalms are sprinkled in kind of veiled references to the coming Messiah and his grace and his salvation for us. So we're going to walk through this Psalm, just a portion of this Psalm today. And you'll notice here that it begins with an invitation to praise, kind of a call to praise, a rouse each other up, a rousing of each other to praise God. So one of the benefits of Christian community is we regularly remind each other of how good God is and how great God is and how worthy of our devotion and adoration he is. So we're, we're able to kind of wake each other up to God's glory in a regular way. And that's what we have going on here. And it's really addressed to, to the priests, to the servants, to the workers who serve God, the Levites and the priests who were a little bit closer to God's presence in the tabernacle and in the temple. But you remember in the Old Testament, even with these servants, even with these priests being a little bit closer, the, the worship of God was, was a lot more scary and complicated in the Old Testament, right? I mean, God dwelled inside that, that one most holy place, that inner room in the tabernacle and in the temple, and everybody else was kind of shut out far away. And it really seems like it would have made more sense for the Old Testament people of God to wear hazmat suits and crash helmets when they drew near to God for, for worship. People got struck dead for kind of worshiping God the wrong way in the Old Testament because God was so holy and so far above human beings. But you'll notice here that the call is to those who are, who are inside, who are closer to God. But as New Testament saints, this side of the cross and resurrection, there is an amazing advance in our closeness and our intimacy with God. So we are invited close to him. And look at the verse from Hebrews 10. I don't think there was any part of the New Testament that had greater shock value for people who were coming out of Old, Old Testament Judaism and becoming followers of Jesus. Look at this verse. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have what? Since we have confidence to enter the holy place through Jesus, let us draw near. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with what? Full assurance of faith. Are you kidding me? That's pretty, a pretty dangerous, audacious thing to do. But because of the finished work of Christ, because he took our sin, because he took the wrath of God because the, the anger of God, again, the judgment of God against sin was fully exhausted on him. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can walk right into the throne room, the very presence of this great God and commune with him and praise him and worship him and pray to him there. And so we who were far, we who were shut out, we were closed out, we were separated from God, we who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And God delights to have us come to him, to come directly into his presence and talk to him and thank him and praise him. And when we do that, 
what kind of throne are we approaching? It, it says elsewhere, when we, come, we are coming to a throne, not of condemnation, not a throne of wrath, not a throne, we are coming to a throne of grace to receive mercy and grace and help in our time of need. Aren't you thank, thankful you're a New Testament Christian, that Jesus has already died for you so that you can walk right into the presence of the Heavenly Father? And so an invitation to praise in verses 1 and 2. But then the rest of the psalm gives us many different reasons that God is worthy of our praise. Praise the Lord. Why? For or because. It's repeated over and over again. So we have an infinite number of reasons that our God is, is worthy of our gratitude, our adoration, our worship. And we're going to focus on several things about, about the amazing nature of God. And the first one is in verse 3. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. The Lord is good. And I'm, I'm glad he starts with this one. Because the Bible has some pretty scary, threatening things to say about God. I mean, he's everywhere present. You can't get away from him. He's all-powerful. He's a God of justice and wrath. But he starts with this one. Everything else you can say about God, foundationally, God is good. Uh, it's impossible for God to do anything wrong or, or bad. or I mean, It's absolutely impossible because God's essential nature is pure. It's good. He's kind. He's morally perfect. And really, he's the only one in the universe. Remember in the New Testament, the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, says, hey, good, good teacher, uh, what must I do? And remember what Jesus said to him? Why, why do you call me good? Nobody is good except God alone. God alone is the standard of goodness. He doesn't, he doesn't conform to some external standard of goodness. He is the standard. His, his, his nature, his moral excellence, his moral purity is the, the standard and the measure of everything good in the universe. I love what Jen Wilkin says in her book about God. He said, God's goodness is a light that radiates through all of his other attributes. And aren't you glad? If God was all-powerful, but he wasn't good, would you want to live in this world? Wouldn't you be, wouldn't you be, you'd be terrified to, to go to sleep at night? But even his, his omnipotence is, is conditioned by his goodness. So God has never once and never will get called for a penalty for unnecessary roughness. It will never, ever, ever happen because it's impossible for God to be mean, to be overly harsh because he's a good God. Not only is he good in his, his character, but he's the source and giver of every good and perfect gift. Every gift that he showers upon us is a good and perfect gift that comes down from above, from the Father of the heavenly lights, who doesn't change, who doesn't vary. Jesus said to his, to his disciples once, his followers, he says, if, if you knuckleheads, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, if even you guys do that, how much more with, will your infinitely good heavenly Father give only good gifts to his children. So his gifts are good. I love Psalm 8411. The, the Lord God is a sun and a shield, our protector. 
No good thing does he withhold from him who walks uprightly. No good thing will he hold back. What a good God. What a generous God. And this also means, and this is maybe a little counterintuitive, but God's law, God's moral will for us is good. In fact, Paul says in Romans 12, he says God's law, God's will for us is good, well-pleasing, and perfect. Now, doesn't that feel a little counterintuitive to you? I know it often does for me. I love what Jackie Hill Perry said. Jackie Hill Perry is a young African-American woman. She's an author. She's a writer. And Jackie grew up in the church, going to Sunday school, hearing the gospel, hearing about Jesus all the time. And when she got into her teen years, she began to drift away, and her heart grew cold, and she kind of walked away from the faith and ended up moving in with her lover and lived together with him for several years. But thank God, God doesn't give up on us. God comes after us. God came after Jackie and began to, to kind of speak to her and, and make her feel guilty and shabby for what she was doing, how she was living. And, and God broke through, and she did a very hard thing. She broke up with her lover. She came back to God, came back to church, committed her life once again to Christ. But this is what she said, reflecting back on this experience. She said, since God is holy and utterly good by nature, even his harshest commands are worth your obedience and really for your good. Or to say it another way is, if God is as good as he says he is, then every single one of his commands is good for you, even if it doesn't feel good to you. Isn't that a wise word? It's good for you. It's, it's in your best interest, even if in the moment it doesn't feel good to you. So we have an infinitely good God who can only do good, who showers us with good gifts, and, and even whose will is meant to protect us. It's for our good. So God is good. And then the psalmist goes on to say, praise his name, worship him. Why? Because his name is lovely. His name is beautiful. His name is pleasant. God in his glory, God's glory refers to his, his mind-bending infinite beauty, his dazzling splendor. And when we draw near to God in worship, when we come to the throne of grace, into the most holy place to worship him, we are bathing in his glory and in his splendor and in his beauty. And so it's pleasant. That's where fullness of joy is, is in his presence. And so sing to him, worship him, draw near to him in prayer. Why? Because you're entering into an experience of that beauty. And so, yes, when we worship, we give glory to God, but, but we benefit ourselves. There's something that's refreshing and invigorating and strengthening about drawing near to God in worship. So a long time ago, back in the 1850s, a young pastor walked up to his pulpit of a large church in London, England, and he began his sermon about God and the greatness of God with these words. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of God. It is a subject so vast that all of our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep 
that our pride is drowned in its infinity. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. It greatly expands it. Uh, the most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ. Nothing will it so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of God. And then he goes on to add this. He says, also, no subject is as comforting and reassuring and consoling as the study of the person of God. Very eloquent words. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of pre preachers, preached these words. You know how old he was? when he 20 years old when he wrote this sermon. But he had been filling his soul with the truth of God, the beauty of God, the greatness of God while he was growing up. And so not only is God glorified and magnified and pleased when we worship him, we benefit as well. It is pleasant to do so. It's kind of a foretaste of heaven, of the atmosphere of heaven when we worship and praise him. And then let's skip ahead to verses 5 and 6 where the psalmist is celebrating the, the, the mind-boggling infinite power and omnipotence and greatness of God. Look at what he says in verses 5 and 6. I know that the Lord is great. That's a figure of speech called understatement, by the way. God is infinitely great. The Lord is greater than all gods. There is nobody equal to God. There's nobody in the universe like God. He's greater than all gods. And get this, the Lord does whatever pleases him. He does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's not true of anybody else, right? You can't do everything you please. Well, you, you could or you'd be dead and in jail, right, by now. But God is such an infinite great God. He's so good. He's so holy. He's so powerful. He's so sovereign that whatever the Lord chooses to do, he does. He only does what pleases him. He's never backed in a corner, forced to do something grudgingly against his will. No, everything God does, he does it wholeheartedly, joyfully. Um, this God is far above us. This God is not like us. In fact, the Bible uses the term for God that he's holy. Holy doesn't just mean that he's morally pure. It means that God is so far above us that he's in a class by himself. Everything else in the world is part of a big category. There's millions of people, tons of animals, plants, fish, insects, stars, planets. But there's only one God. He's the only one in his category. And he is far above every other category. There is no one like him. He is infinitely great, and therefore he's infinitely worthy to be praised. And so the psalmist here is, is celebrating the, the magnitude of God's majestic greatness. And another passage that does that is Isaiah chapter 40. It's a, a sustained celebration of how uniquely magnificent and worthy of our worship God is. I just want to focus on one verse with you this morning, and that's verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand has marked off the heavens? 
Who's held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? We only know God by analogy. You know, what is he like? What is he not like? And so here, Isaiah is, is giving us a picture, an illustration of just the infinite, majestic greatness of God. He said, you take all the accumulated water of all the oceans and all the lakes and all the rivers and all the storm clouds, and God holds that in the hollow of his hand. You know how much water you can hold in the hollow of your hand? A little over three ounces. God can effortlessly hold all the waters of the world. And how much water is that? Well, uh, every day in the world, do you know how many thunderstorms there are all around the world every day? 45,000 on average. I did not know that. That's a lot of thunderstorms. Each thundercloud in each one of these thunderstorms contains on average 100,000 tons of water. And that's just in the clouds before it falls on the earth. If you took all the water in the four Great Lakes, if they were poured out over the continental United States, it would cover the whole country two and a half yards deep. Or let's take the oceans. You know how big the Pacific Ocean is? Have you ever flown over the Pacific Ocean? It is massive. All the oceans of the world contain 328 million cubic miles of water. And how does Isaiah picture God? Right there, a little tiny bit. God created it in a nanosecond, didn't break a sweat, and now he sustains it. And all the waters of the world, basically a drop in the bucket to God. And then it says, with the breath of his hand, that's, that's the distance between the end of your thumb and the end of your pinky, what is that? Maybe eight inches? With the breath of his hand, he has marked off the heavens, the entire universe and everything in it created by God, spoke into existence like that. And he measures it like that. Yep, that's how big the universe is. Well, let's talk about how big the universe is. You know how long the distance is from the earth to the sun? 93 million miles. If that distance was represented by the width of one sheet of paper, it would take a stack 25 yards high to represent the distance from the earth to the nearest star. That, that's how, we're talking gazillions of light years away. But how many stars are there just in our galaxy? Milky Way galaxy is just one small galaxy in the universe. How many stars are in the Milky Way galaxy? Well, if you decided to count out each one by name, uh, calling out the name of one every three seconds for 24 hours a day, you know how long it would take you to count out all the stars in the Milky Way galaxy, 1,000 years. It would take you a millennium. How about all the stars in the universe? One every three, three seconds, 24 hours a day, you would be counting for 100 trillion years. God spoke the universe into existence. He, he counts the stars. He knows everyone by name. This God is incredibly big and great and powerful. Aren't you glad God is good? Aren't you glad his nature is loving and gracious? Isn't a God this big worthy of our reverence and praise and worship and thanksgiving? So God is a God of majestic, incomparable, incomprehensible greatness, worthy of our reverence, our respect, and our worship. 
But the good news is, verse 4, this God also is a God of infinite compassion, infinite grace, unconditional grace. Look at what it says in verse 4. For the Lord has chosen Jacob. Worship and praise Lord. Why? For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own Israel, to be his treasured possession. I love the description in the Psalms of God as the God of Jacob. That's, That's good news for us. Have you ever read the story of Jacob in the Old Testament? He was a despicable human being. He was a bad guy. He was a terrible father. He played favorites with his sons, and he treated his sons who were born by a mother other than Rachel. He treated them really shabbily. He was an absent absent father, and he was manipulative. He was deceitful. He was dishonest. That's the way he rolled. He was a bad guy. He was a sinful guy. He didn't deserve the love of God, but he got it. And so do you and I. Aren't you glad our God is the God of... That's a God I can live with. That's a God I can deal with, right? Why? Because he's a God of grace. He doesn't give us what what we deserve. In fact, he gives us the opposite of what we deserve. He treats us with grace and love despite what we really deserve. And so our, our God, in addition to all of his other attributes, our God delights in us, and he delights to treat us good and and to treat us graciously. I love a story I found a couple of years ago. It was written by a pastor, lived in, in Michigan, grew up in Michigan, and he said, when I was five years old, my family visited my grandparents in California during Christmas vacation. They lived in an apartment building with an alley beside it. Very exciting for a boy who lived on a farm in Michigan. So he said, at some point in my exploration of that alley, I decided I would make a Christmas gift for my dad. Christmas was just a couple days away. And so on the morning of Christmas Day, my father had the privilege of opening a gift of a piece of black and green drain pipe glued to a little gray rock with little white stones resting on it. A true masterpiece, to say the least. He said, the reason I remember this is because now, 30 years later, he's writing this, 30 years on. He says, the other day, I visited my dad at his office, and while I waited for him to finish his meeting, I wandered around looking at the pictures on the walls and the stuff on his desk and the stuff on his shelves, and on one of his shelves sat the drain pipe and rock sculpture. 30 years later, he still has it. Not because it's such a valuable treasure, but because in his eyes, I'm a valuable treasure. I'm the valuable treasure. He didn't keep it because it's so valuable. He, keep, he kept it because he values and he treasures me, and I'm the one that made it. So still has it. Do you realize you, I don't want to say you're like that rock sculpture. That wouldn't be quite right. But do you realize God treasures and values you? In fact, you know, ancient kings um, in their palaces, they had kind of a treasure room where they had the gold and the silver and the great works of art and all the, the valuables of that kingdom. And the psalmist wants us to see when, what, what does God have in, in his treasure room? Look, look around. You and I are what he values. How much did he value us? You know how much we were worth to God? 
this much. He, he gave his beloved son, his perfect son, gave so that you and I might become his most treasured possessions. So God, yes, he's infinitely powerful. He's present everywhere. He fills the whole universe. He's all-knowing. He's all-wise. He's all-good. But he's also a God of infinite grace. Is that not cause to worship and praise him for all eternity? We are his treasure. We are his treasured possession. We are the wealth that he boasts of. So God is this amazing combination of seemingly contradictory attributes. He's all-powerful. He's a God of justice and wrath. But he's all-loving. He's present everywhere. And he's a God of infinite, tender grace and unconditional love and mercy. Isn't that God worthy of worship? Look at this quote. When perfect power meets perfect compassion, we are free to fall into the arms of this Lord in quiet trust. God is all-powerful, so he's able to deliver us and keep his promises to us. But he's also all-loving, and so he delights to deliver us and keep his promises to us. This is the best of all possible worlds. This is a God who can be counted on, trusted in, relied upon completely. And this is a God who is infinitely worthy of our eternal heartfelt praise and thanksgiving. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let everything within me bless his holy name because he's infinitely good and he's infinitely great. Amen? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And so we have the privilege to come into the most holy place. To come. We're welcomed, we're invited, we're urged to come into his presence and worship him and praise him. And what will we find there? We will find grace and mercy to help us. Amen. This is a God worthy of our highest praise. Would you pray with me? Lord, words, human words just seem so inadequate to describe your, your infinity, your infinitude. But Lord, thank you that in your word, you have given us words to borrow, to make our own, to sing our praises, to pour out our worship and our gratitude to you. So Lord, by your spirit, would you help us to worship you in a way that, that is acceptable to you, in a way that you are worthy of, and Lord, thank you that we can live our whole lives by how we live, by how we relate to, to each other, not just by our words. Thank you, Lord, that we can worship you with all of our lives. Worthy, 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 O oh Lord, are you to receive our worship. And so we offer it to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.